Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chris Graham from the National Racing Network, welcoming you to episode number two of Pizza at the Pagoda. Tonight, joined by Mike McCullen, Mr. James Watson. Tony Patty is unavoidably detained, and the rest of the crew was not able to come tonight. So we're going to have a three-man crew, but the show is going to be fantastic one way or the other because we got a whole lot to talk about here. Everything from the Indy GP review, uh, teams that are having issues, maybe a little rookie of the year discussion, and we will do a whole lot of coverage of qualifying weekend at the world's greatest race course. But we'll start things off here. Last time we were on the podcast, it was a spaghetti, a Miller High Life with a shot of Aperol. What are you going to do to top that this time, Mr. McCullen? I'm, I just went very basic today. I've got a nice Allagash white from the great state of Maine. I'm assuming nothing complicated, wine. nothing fancy. You're you're the wine and cheese crowd, so a a nice white wine is what sounds like will be cleansed, touching your palate. No, it's it's a nice Belgian style wheat beer oh. from Maine. Oh, okay. So well, I yeah. bet we can get behind. Yeah, like, nothing fancy tonight. I wasn't feeling fancy. I think this will watch down some crow. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that one here in just a minute. Uh, <laughs> James, what are you drinking tonight? Have we moved on from Purple Powerade? Yes, to Mountain Dew. <laughs> All right. Well, add some Cheetos and you got some Ferrucci sponsorship. <laughs> I may or may not have some Cheetos by me. Of course you would. That that just doesn't surprise me at all. Looking at your the way your iRacing cars are painted, they're a combination of <laughs> Cheetos, Mountain Dew, and Debbie Gibson, circa nineteen eighty seven. Uh, yeah, that that I absolutely mean, fits. I mean the 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 color of the name of my main color is literally radioactive piss. So you're not far off. Well, now that we've opened the show with a bang, I have a, a, actually I have a pair of them in front of me here, but something tells me I may need more by the time we get through this. Brewed from the mountains of Bush, a couple of nice 12 ounce cans ready to be consumed because this has been the absolute week from hell for me work-wise. We won't get into all that stuff other than um, I have bought enough lumber to single-handedly keep Lowe's in business. So um, y'all can thank me when, when the Lowe's... So that's like what, shipping. a two-by-six? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we bought and moved enough wood to completely rebuild a deck. And oh my God. The, the, I think the only person happier than the lumber people at Lowe's are the credit card companies that are going to start to see the interest payments kick in in a couple of months. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we're uh, looking ahead, or I guess we'll start with looking in the rearview mirror here to the Indy Grand Prix. Uh, qualifying was absolutely thrilling. Grosjean beating Joseph Newgarden heads up. No games, no trickery. Roman Grosjean outdrove Joseph Newgarden in qualifying for the Indy GP. I mean, that's not all that surprising. Right? The guys, he had success at Lotus. He had success when Haas didn't completely suck. He had success in GP2. He's 
he's a good driver. So I'm not at all surprised that he went out there and showed what he can do. So I, I think it's awesome. I think it brings a lot of eyes to the sport and it, for him, moral, you know, you know, moral, more, <laughs> I can't get the word out. Um, you know, just the, the boost in, in morale for him saying, like, yeah, I'm not as bad as my last couple of years in Haas have been. Uh, get off my back. So I think it's a huge, you know, huge thing for him to, yeah, go stick it to the two-time champ and, you know, show, hey, a Dale Coin car and a Rick Ware racing car can go out and take it to Penske. I'm not surprised at all. I'm happy for the guy. I think he didn't put a foot wrong the whole qualifying session and showed the talent that he's got. And now, James, to to piggyback on this, he gets out of the car and has, I mean, it's like watching another guy go off with your girlfriend. He got out of that car in victory lane and they were prepping it for Pietro Fittipaldi. Like, good Lord, man. Give me a minute to enjoy a very good race weekend because he led a lot of that race as well. And he did it on pace. Yeah. I mean, it's the month of May, so you never really get an opportunity to rest, but that, that had to be like, Oh man, for poor Roman, he's like, just let me celebrate. He's like, we just brought home a, a great race, but I really don't think that actually bothered him. Roman's such a such a chill, affable dude that he, he it probably didn't even register. He was too busy being happy and celebrating with his guys to notice. And one of the things that really struck me was, I mean, we knew the fire in Bahrain was bad. But seeing the pictures of him holding up the trophies and putting the stickers on and stuff, that guy has hands that are not fully healed yet. He pretty obviously, it, the injuries are, are still fairly even, I would you could say, grotesque looking. The story of his recovery and return to racing may be a whole lot deeper than the superficial, the guy got some burns on his hands. Yeah, and plus, I think we're, I think that's probably just is going to be how his hands look from here on out. I mean, look at Nikki. His, he never, his skin never recovered from what he dealt with in 76. I don't know if it was the same degree of burns that Roman dealt with uh, as opposed to what Nikki dealt with, but still, he's always going to deal with a significant looking, injury on his hand from here on out yeah it, it was that picture of him holding the trophy should should win some type of award that that's just and i'm trying to find the one it was just a beautiful picture of him holding the trophy and it was like a close-up of his hand and how like gnarled and mangled his hand is on his second place trophy i think that's yes it, it it's was... chilling to say Yes, it, it goes to show that this, the sport is still as dangerous as it ever was. Uh, and maybe the fear of death isn't there week in and week out, but these guys are still driving race cars in excess of 200 miles per hour. And the set of huevos that it takes to do that, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to qualifying and who may have the uh, the, the phrase that we use on, on one of our shows is nut up and ball out. 
Uh, Will Power may need a couple of wheelbarrows to carry those things around after his qualifying <laughs> performance. But we'll uh, we'll get to that one in a little bit here because the other story of the Indy GP was Renus VK, who, I mean, the, we know the kid's quick and we know he loves the Indy road course, but my goodness, man, was that kid a show uh, just over a week ago. Yeah, I mean, he had a couple of really good moves and good strategy calls from ECR to put him where he needed to be. It's a shame that uh, the, some of the back markers kept, uh, kept Grosjean from making it a little more competitive at the end there. But yeah, he, the kid's a monster. Yeah, that was, you brought up the strategy calls and, and that was actually one of the notes that I had made was that that entire race was dictated by strategy and who was going to finish where was it, it was as much about the calls coming from the pit box as it was raw pace. Is that necessarily a good thing for the series going forward when the fall off rates were so drastic between the reds and the blacks and, and you never really know from week to week, what's going to be the better tire to have on the car. Is that a good thing to to have the pit boxes deciding things instead of the right foot and the squishy part between the steering wheel and the engine? I it's mean, part of the, yeah, go ahead, James. I mean, of course, that's the the great thing about motorsport is it's a team sport way more than people realize. Is having the added unpredictability of what the crews are going to do, what the strategists are going to do, is what makes racing great. If it's just completely all pace going all out all the time, that could get as much fun as that would be to watch. It could get stale after a while because certain people are just going to be faster all the time but if you have strategy come into play more often then it gives more people a chance to win it makes it more unpredictable and then it gives more of a feeling of accomplishment when you do bring home the win because it of all the things you had to deal with and manage to get to that point point. Hey, I think I think right now the series has a good balance. This isn't like at where F1 where strategy determines everything. You know, we talk, you know, you watch an F1 right and it's all, you know, oh, overcut, undercut. You know, when are they going to bring him in? What's the tire dag? They do their one stop and, you know, whatever the order is after that one stop is pretty much where the race ends up or where the, where the order was before the stop and, and nothing changes. So, in IndyCar, right, the driver still has to go out there and still perform. I mean, VK, yeah, the team put him in the right place. He still had to go out there and get it done. He still had to go out and get some moves done. So I think there's a healthy balance right now. I think if we get to the point where we're watching it, it's like watching an F1 race. There's no more overtakes on track. All of the over all of the over takes are in the pits based on strategy yeah we've got a problem but right now we're still i think that there's still a healthy balance of on track action versus what the strategists are doing to to put put their guys in the right places 
Yeah, I I would agree with that in a, a pretty big way because the, it seems like when you if you make the obvious comparison to Formula One, there is a definitive strategy play that just about everybody is making from the very beginning of the race. It's, it's not like there's a ton of variability built into it. You know when the pit stops are going to come. You know that it's going to be a 2 to 2.5 second pit stop, and there's really not even time to have that kind of overcut, undercut strategy that, that really is makes a meaningful difference. Uh, we're doing it right in the IndyCar series at this point. It, looking at what that can bring into play, however, is we saw Will Power absolutely uncorked on his engineering staff during qualifications for the Grand Prix. He was not happy with the car. He was not happy with the aero setups they were running. And that was as many F-bombs as I've heard come out of a driver's mouth in a very, very long time. At least the kind that get caught on hot mics anyway. <laughs> That's my boy. You could take the Australian out of Australia. Right. <laughs> Yeah, he was um he he was pretty lit up and and like we said we're going to talk about him in a little bit but he, the same thing has been true for the last couple of weeks here now. Penske is very consistently inconsistent across the four drivers. Whether it's qualifying for the Grand Prix, the how the race ran at the Grand Prix and then leading into qualifying for the 500, Penske is sort of all over the place it seems like. It does feel that way, and I'm wondering if this coincides at all with Roger taking a step back due to ownership of the series and ownership of the Speedway. If this is all Tim Sindrick, I feel like this does coincide a little bit. Just, I don't know. It, you're right. It, it feels really weird and really uncharacteristic for Penske to be making mistakes like this. I mean, these guys are, you know, the Mercedes of, of IndyCar, although... <laughs> this last weekend's performance notwithstanding, but um, it's it's uncharacteristic to see Penske make mistakes, and it's uncharacteristic to see Penske drivers frustrated. I mean, same through qualifying. This, you know, I know we're going to talk about it later, but you know, frustration all the way up and down the Penske camp. It's it's good for the sport because it gives some of the other teams the opportunity to show. But yeah, it's. It's really interesting to see one of the kind of the stalwarts and, you know, big names of the of the series struggle. I know that there's plenty of people out there that probably enjoy it. Uh, there's there's a, a solid contingent that is the anybody but Penske, anybody but Ganassi contingent. Uh, and we may get a big heaping spoonful of that coming up at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend. For the 105th running of the greatest spectacle in racing. And before we, we transition into talking about qualifying and practice for the 500, uh, just kind of an interesting, maybe oddball kind of question to ask. But with the 500 offering double points, this could change everything completely. However, could we see Roman Grosjean win Rookie of the Year? All it would take is for Scott McLaughlin to not have a good day at the 500, 
and all of a sudden Grosjean is right back in the race for rookie of the year. I think it's a long shot, but it's a shot. Um, with, I mean, I've got to go look at the schedule, but I think there's only one more oval on the schedule. So if McLaughlin has a bad, bad week, yeah. If he has, you know, if he either you know, puts it in the wall or just finishes poorly or, you know, or whatever, um, yeah, uh, I think Grosjean's in the conversation, uh, which would be an incredible accomplishment if, if he's able to do that against the guy running the full full season. So, so I think it's something to watch. Yeah, and maybe if he's in actual contention for the rookie of the year, we may see him consider hopping in uh for that last oval since it's gateway and it's not as fast and not as terrifying as texas or indy so it would be cool to see him maybe make some sort of serious concerted effort at getting rookie of the year to add to all of his other glory and hardware I mean, Gateway is not like it's the type of track that is, it's one of the friendlier ovals you could make your first oval start at. It's not even a place like Pocono where it's big, fast, you know, challenging corners all the way around and and big strategy plays and everything else. Gateway is is pretty straightforward in terms of how those oval races run there. Yeah, and plus with the, dealing with the them bringing out the high downforce wings, it kind of drives like a road course, or as opposed to Texas and Indian Pocono. So it would be something that Roman is more used to, and it wouldn't be as steep of a learning curve trying to understand how to drive it as the other fast ovals and having to deal with with all that. So before we get too deep in the show here, we're only, I guess, about 20 minutes in, but we want to make sure that we can devote as much time to the upcoming festivities at the Speedway as we possibly can here. Um, Guys, let's get a little off topic here. What do you think of as Indy 500 food staples? You sort of have, you know, the Kentucky Derby, you have your mint juleps and you have your cocktails and all that stuff. Outside of, like, the pork tenderloin, the size of of a manhole cover, is there anything that jumps out at you as, like, the must-have foods for the 500? You've never been, so with the exception of the tenderloin, I don't know what else is, you know, what other options there are. You know, my my usual Indy 500 food when I'm watching at home is uh, just a bunch of beer and whatever I barbecued that day, but, yeah, I... I wish I knew. I wish I had an opinion on that. Because those tenderloins look amazing. Yeah, when I got free pit passes and went to practice in 2018, I was way too focused on looking at all the race cars and the museum and all the cool stuff around me to even really think about eating. Uh, Yes, I... had to pull up the article here because this was a an article from Food and Wine magazine. Um, I don't subscribe to that. 
I don't either. However, it was when looking for uh, it kind of some thoughts on what this stuff might be. And it, the article begins with, we gather to load the truck at 3.15 a.m. Okay. This is the a discussing the tailgate party for the 100th running of the 500. Uh, most of the group have cracked their first beers of the day before 3.30 a.m. One member of the group tries to fit in four containers of raspberries and blackberries into the beer coolers and gets mocked for five solid minutes for bringing fruit. <laughs> um, it, it sounds like every bit the shenanigans of the 500. Um, it, the thoughts that immediately come to my mind when I think of 500, the, the ideas maybe of 500 food, you have to include something like biscuits and gravy with your Clabber Girl baking powder, baking soda, baking products. Uh, put a little more money in the Holman George family pockets there by supporting Clabber Girl. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of go to either generic track food, your track eggs, bacon, potatoes, you know, all the crap you're going to make up at the tailgate party or whatever. And then just barbecue. Buy the dumpster full whatever smoked meat I can get in front of my face. I found the same article as you, as you did and then I mean, any any racetrack, it's always you know your 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 main food group is beer, and then whatever you can find. Uh, yes, that the article yeah. is actually pretty comical where they're talking about shotgunning beers with the Honda engineers at seven fifteen in the morning, because that's race day at at the speedway, I guess. Um, that's race day anywhere, really. I mean, that's my favorite part of Mid Ohio. You get out for that first. USF 2000 or whatever it is practice at 8 o'clock in the morning sun's still coming up over the trees and you crack open that first beer and you're the only maniac sitting on the hill because who's sitting out on a hill on a Friday morning watching race cars except for someone who really likes race cars and that's that's my favorite moment of mid-Ohio just that that quiet and then the of the first beer and then the first engines and, and you know like they music the saying is you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. So game on. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I don't know that we'll be starting the party at 3.30 a.m. local time here on the East Coast, but it won't be long after that when we kick things off here this coming Sunday. Um, looking through some of the other stuff that we have is kind of off-track stuff. Uh, how about the finish to the Indy Lights race? I guess it was race two this weekend at the Speedway. That finish was absolutely incredible. 0 0.06, 0 0.006 seconds, whatever it was at the finish. Um, Indy Lights, once again, put on a fantastic show. There's a lot of talent down there. And they're they're hungry. It's It's been so far, every Lights race I've watched this year has been fantastic. So, yeah, it's they're putting on a good season so far. It's good to see them back with as strong as they are considering they didn't run it all last year yeah i i thought the pandemic may have been the end of indie lights as we knew it because i can remember their last visit to pocono when i think they had either eight or nine cars was the starting grid and that was the regular starting grid everywhere they went 
now we're seeing a healthy car count. We're starting to see some kind of interesting names come in on the ownership side. Um, it, it's a very good thing to have a healthy lights program, as NASCAR has proven with the Xfinity Series. Yeah, absolutely agreed. It's I was you know sitting watching lights at you know the races I went to, you know seven eight guys i mean that's you know half of why pato didn't have super license points he won the championship in a field of eight guys and the fia was like ha no yeah that's that's a big part of it is if you're going to if you're going to open the discussion of north american racing should be worth more in terms of the super license you really need to then consider at least making sure that those series are going to provide the adequate challenge to meet the the cutthroat nastiness that you see in Europe. It almost seems like the road to Indy is the cooler version of F2, F3, and and the rest of the rungs that you see over in Europe. We just have more fun doing it. Well, I think it's if you look at the road to Indy and you, and you compare it to any of the U.S. minor league systems, and I'm a baseball fan, so you think of it in terms of, you know, of, you know, A ball, you know, double A, triple A. Those are just fun to begin with because of the way that we approach it. I think that we approach our developmental series as developmental series, and they're not as cutthroat, and they're not as, you know, you, know, you step on you know your teammates or you know or the other guys to because you got a you got a place to get um so i i think the road to india is right in line with the american philosophy of developmental programs and of developmental ladders well, so you mean there's going to be a a meme team coming up like the trash pandas or the canapolis <laughs> intimidators because that that's all i'm getting from this <laughs> I would be so on board with that. Oh, would that be absolutely epic? It would almost have to be along the lines of Hesketh Racing of the early 70s, where, you know, I mean, one of Hesketh's things was they had to have a baby grand piano in their pit box. Because what else are you going to do when you're sitting around getting drunk as soon as practice is over? Um, <laughs> that's. I would love to see it. I would love to see somebody with more money than they know what to do with. Just be like, you know what? We're throwing a party every weekend, everywhere this dumpster fire goes. We are absolutely throwing a party, but it has to be a serious effort though. I mean, that was the other thing that went with Heskett was it, they weren't screwing around. It, it was actually, you know, a real deal. But speaking of stepping on your teammates and friends here, let's review our picks. From the Indy Grand Prix, I thought Mike was going to be the worst one of the lot. However, Tony Patty, since he's not here to defend himself, will get the big smooth move of the race. <laughs> his, his pick to win was Scott McLaughlin, who came home in the eighth position. His pick to be the anchovy of the week was Santino Ferrucci, who was not entered in the race <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So, I thought on, so. Mr. Mr. Patty, you, you yourself are an anchovy this week. 
looking at the rest of them here, I did not have a terrible day. I had picked Joseph Newgarden to win. He ended up coming home in the fourth position. I said Marcus Erickson would have a tough day. He actually finished in 10th, so not a terrible day uh, for Marcus, but maybe not as far forward as some of the Chip Ganassi guys would have liked to see. James, very middle of the road. He picks Will Power to win. He comes home 11th. He picks Ryan Hunter Ray to be the pineapple of the week, and he comes home in the 12th position. So uh, you were very there last week there, uh, James. I didn't suck. Uh, yeah, you're not the big loser. I think that one is a maybe actually a dead heat between Tony and Mike this week. Jack Harvey was the pick to win. Uh, now, he did have an issue on pit road. However, Jack Harvey coming home in the 23rd position. Yeah, that, that hurt. He was he was top three up until his pit stop. So, yeah. And he qualified, what, fourth? So, wasn't that far off. And then his pit teams, his pit career screwed him. So. Yeah, but he still finished 23rd. Yeah, so, that makes you the lowest yeah. finishing pick to win. And you basically, you basically took chalk in the anchovy of the week <laughs> discussion in selecting Dalton Kellett. And I almost feel bad picking on the kid now because it's time to discuss practice and qualifications for the greatest spectacle in racing. Before we get to qualifying, we'll look at the, now these are with toe numbers. We, I don't have the no toe numbers, but. Scott Dixon started doing Scott Dixon things uh, combined across the first four practices of the week, which were all prior to Fast Friday when they got the extra boost. Scott Dixon was top of the charts, 226.829 miles per hour, lap time of 39.6774 seconds. Uh, is there any surprise that Scott Dixon is fast at Indianapolis? No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. All right, let's continue down the list then because here's where things start to get interesting. Second quick for the week at 226.470 miles per hour, the number 12 Verizon 5G Team Penske entry of Will Power. What yeah. the hell happened between Thursday and Saturday? <laughs> I want to know myself. Oh God, that was that was terrible. In the look, I've been a fan of his for ten years now. That man has put me through some hell, but that was a special type of hell because at at no point was I, I really legitimately frightened that oh my God, I might see him. I might not see him in the Indianapolis Five Hundred. But it was still terrifying because my paranoid butt was like, but could he, though? I just I just could not believe that any Penske car could make it, could find themselves on bump day, let alone the one I worshipped for a decade. It, it was just, it, it was just all kinds of stress I did not need. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of now, I will make the potentially unpopular argument here. I don't think it was a surprise that Will Power was in that last five. 
that would have to qualify again on Sunday and air quotes sweat it out. And the reason I say that is we had five cars that you would reasonably look at and go, yeah, he could probably go home. In fact, I had more than five. However, just knowing the way the IndyCar world works, somebody was going to miss. So if you look at the bottom of the practice list, R.C. Enerson was slowest for Top Gun Racing, and they were well off the pace. In fact, they only turned 50 laps in practice the entire week. That car was going to go home without a ton of help. Dalton Kellett was next slowest in practice. Pietro Fittipaldi, Charlie Kimball, Stefan Wilson, Max Chilton, J.R. Hildebrand back to 29. Every one of those cars, you would have said that guy was going home, and you would have gone, eh, eh not that surprising. So it, the reality of things was somebody from the big teams was going to miss. It just so happened this week it was Will Power. Yeah, but, oh, man, watching that that last run of his when – when he bounced it off the wall and still kept his foot in it all the way down to turn three, that was some of the most type I've been watching him. It was insane. You talk about cojones that took some, that took some major ones. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would Penske though, just head up rough week i'm just looking at this and it's just there were i mean i don't think there were penske's that were close to the conversation of hey can they bump their way into into the fast nine they were just mid-pack at best the whole day uh, yeah i mean okay here's when you go to fast friday which is the day of practice for qualifying Going from back to front, R.C. Enerson, Charlie Kimball, Sebastian Bourdais, Simona DiSilvestro, Sage Karam, Simon Pagano, Will Power, back to 29. Everybody who, with the exception of Bourdais, who we would have figured to see in that bottom group, we saw in the bottom group. I mean, I, I, I don't know that it's... The Chevys were having issues. There is no doubt about it. Uh, Fast Friday practice, Pato Award was the quickest Chevy in sixth. You had to go back to 12th for Renus VK to find the next one. And the the slowest Honda was Marco Andretti in 26th. The Chevys were absolutely down on power when it came to qualifying for the Speedway. Yeah, all the straight line speed they just didn't seem to have. It was... And they've always... Chevy's been historically... Good. So, yeah. But then you've got you've got Renus and Ed go and stick the thing in the Fast Nine. So, Ed's got some secret voodoo when it comes to the five hundred. I think he just win the damn thing. I I don't necessarily yeah. disagree with that. I I think the Carpenter cars are. A lot of the teams will build a 500 car. They massage on it. They start, but I've heard as early as late June, they will start building their Indy 500 car for the following season, the bigger name teams. Ed Carpenter Racing just seems to go that little inch more than everybody else is. Um, you know, teams will cover areas with packing tape for 
aerodynamic purposes, the, basically the gaps in the body panel. I have heard of Ed Carpenter cars showing up with the wrap covering the seams in the body panels. They wrap the car after it's done. And then you have some of them where, and maybe this might be the, the secret juju here, of the last few years, Carpenter's cars have all been hand-painted. Maybe there's something in that we can, we're using lighter paints. I, I don't know, but Carpenter's cars are, are always spectacular at the Speedway. Yeah, Ed's found something on the Speedway that he's able to exploit year in, year out. I mean, more than even, you know, the, the, the Penske's. You know, good on Ed. I think you know winning the 500 is still, you know, his goal, and I don't think he's going to hang it up until he either can't drive the car, he can't qualify the car, or he wins the damn thing. Ed just goes full Jim Herdebeest and stocks the engine compartment with beer and rolls it out on Saturday. <laughs> he's going to be last in line with a the the Genesee beer wagon rolling out there onto the the pit road at Indy. And maybe it's a fair discussion, considering they announced who the pace car driver is, um, and, and that will be Danica Patrick. Is Ed in the discussion, and I would even say you could potentially put Danica in this list, best drivers at the Speedway to have not won the 500? I'd say so, with the number of times he's put it on pole. Let's go. Let's go look at Ed's finishes. I, I was gonna say, let's fire up the Google box here, and and we'll get Ed Carpenter's <laughs> history here. <at laughs> Who can pull up Ed's Wikipedia page fastest? Yeah, really. Um, now, here's the other one that kind of struck me when doing a very quick perusal of the numbers before we started recording the show here. How about this for a top ten? Your top 10 fastest in combined practice. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Scott Dixon, Will Power, Connor Daly, RHR, Sato, Carpenter, Erickson, Karam, Kanan, and Bourdais. Those drivers will start in the following positions. 1, 32, 19, 7, 15, 4, 9, 31, 5, and 27. We have a lot of very fast race day cars starting in the back half of the field. Yeah, I I can't wait. This this means we're going to be in for a really good 500 because we're going to have to watch so many top tier cars have to make it through traffic. Which means that there could be opens up the poten uh, potential of some shenanigans and light kerfuffles with some of these faster cars trying to make their way up through the field. Yeah, I, I mean, when you look at the difference in time from fastest to slowest, the Scott Dixon's pole time of 231.685 miles per hour Worked out to 2 minutes, 35.38 seconds. Dalton Kellett is the slowest car in the field at 2 minutes, 37.67. The reality of things here is that, and even when you look at the combined practice speeds throughout the week, 
they're they're within two mile an hour of each other. Three, I guess we'll say three mile an hour of each other. This is one of the tightest matched fields the 500 has ever seen. What did I see? I thought I thought I saw um, over the course of the weekend that Charlie Kimball's speed, which did not get him into the 500, would have been good for row three like 10 years ago. It's insane. This is the fastest field we've ever seen and the tightest, too. Uh, it wasn't even his speed. It was four miles, four miles an hour off pole would have been good for row three. Yeah. I mean, that's now let's also kind of couch that by saying that was the era of the Kardashians and really excessive accoutrement on the back end of the race car, slowing them down a little bit. But the point is well taken. These cars are evenly matched. They're incredibly quick. And you look at where some of these drivers are starting. I, I mean, the guys had absolutely garbage luck, but if he wasn't going to do it from the pole last year, is him. we'll ask the question, is this the year for Marco Andretti coming from 25th no. when he's just <laughs> flat? It seems like every year the pressure is on Marco. And he's been completely anonymous this entire month of May. Isn't that what it's going to take for him to get a win? I don't think he wants to be here. Like, just his whole demeanor over the course of every interview, every, you know, he just seemed unhappy. He didn't seem like, you know, like he had a shot, like a shot. So I'm sure that goes into him when he's behind the wheel. It just... I don't know. I, I I think he's doing it because he has to do it because he's an Andretti. If he was, you know, Marco, anyone else, you know, he would have been like, yeah, I'm I'm done with this. So I don't know. I just. He doesn't look like he wants to be doing this anymore. Well, I will say he's had that look for several years now. Um, Fair. And like I said, I don't know if it's the pressure of you're an Andretti at Indy. It didn't seem like there was the same kind of pressure from the Foyts. There was not the same kind of hullabaloo around Larry Foyt and AJ Foyt the fourth when they were coming up the road to Indy and Larry was driving in IndyCar. It just seems like it's almost been an unfair level of pressure that the media will choose to put on Marco for the sake of you're an Andretti. Yeah. Cause it, it, there's definitely a lot more, you know, the Andretti's are a lot more well-known in mainstream media. I mean, the average plebe on the street is going to know the Andretti family and Mario, but not everyone. That same person is probably not going to know, uh, big techs and everything that AJ has done. So it's not that surprising to see an Andretti descendant have to deal with that. That's an interesting perspective to me as someone who I think is a little bit younger of a fan than I am. I grew up on, I mean, the world stopped the day that AJ Foyt retired at Indianapolis. 
it was that was the news to end all news. Now, granted, it was on I think pole day that he made his last lap at the speedway, but it, I grew up on Hoyt and Andretti were there were only two faces that needed to be on Mount Rushmore, and it was Foyt and Andretti. You could argue over the other two. Um, it, it, that's, it's an interesting thought process that by the time AJ retired in 93, there was not another Foyt coming behind him. At least the, the kids were too young. Whereas Michael had already been running for years. Marco was not that far off. He was only about 10 years out from joining his dad on the grid. We've had a continuous Andretti presence dating back to 1979, I think. I think it was 79, the year Mario didn't run the 500 because of his F1 commitments. But outside of that, I mean, it's one year in how many that we have it longer than I've been alive that we, we've had an Andretti on the grid in Indianapolis. Plus, also, don't forget that you also have John Andretti, too. Rest in peace. You know, the Andretti the clan is well-known in other forms of motorsports. That's also why there isn't as much with the Foyt family as there is Andretti, because IndyCar people know the Andrettis. F1 people know the Andrettis. NASCAR people know the Andrettis. Normies know the Andrettis. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a not-racing world. I knew who Mario Andretti was. I didn't know I didn't know the Unzers. I didn't know the Foyts. I didn't know any other names in racing, but I knew who Mario Andretti was, having never watched a race in my life. I knew who Mario Andretti was. I knew who, who Dale Earnhardt was. As a non- racing fan, not only a non-racing fan, but somebody who had no involvement or interest in motorsports. I still know who knew who those two guys were. I think in the in the Mario Andretti documentary that um NBC did, they did like a whole segment on like rap songs that included Mario Andretti. <laughs> yep. Ice T, because Ice T is a, a big racing fan and I even, because him and his wife used to have their own reality show on E, and Marco actually made a couple appearances on it because Marco and Ice-T are actually good friends. If you can believe that. It doesn't surprise me at all. I was going to say, why no, does that not really surprise me in the slightest that Marco <laughs> Andretti would be buddies with Ice-T? I mean, it, it's nothing if not completely awesome sounding i mean if it's not peter peanut butter and jelly it's it's mike mccullen and apple <laughs> i mean but you, you think about marco right is we forget that he's not that old he's been doing this since he was 19 years old he got he this has been his whole life so i mean yeah he's probably when was his last win 2011 yep. yeah 2011 so I mean, to have that much just not success, he had that pole in Detroit, and then that race went to hell for him. Let's also, yeah, I think you kind of can't forget 2006 either. Marco's first mm. time at the Speedway, and he lost the race. He became the first ever driver to be passed on the front straightaway of the final lap. 
may have even been the first last lap pass to win the Indy 500. He put on a show as a young kid, and I, I, that's now instantaneous expectations the rest of your life when you come through the gates yep. of, of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So pivoting a little bit here, we'll look up the grid. Taking a look at the fast nine in the qualification results. Scott Dixon, Colton Hurd, Arenas VK, Ed Carpenter, Tony Kanan, Alex Palou on row number two. Hunter Ray, Castro Neves, and Erickson were the nine cars that competed in the fast nine shootout on Sunday. Were any of those names a surprise to you guys? I tell you, seeing seeing TK up there in fifth had had me feeling some type of way. Yeah, Elio too. Yes. Oh, seeing the OGs that I grew up idolizing up there, still competing for the pole here in 2021 supposed to be pretty much done in IndyCar that that's the stuff that makes you kind of misty eyed yep it's a hell of a story you got you know four of the nine are past winners you know you've got multiple winners yeah El- seeing Elio and TK up there surprising I mean um you know, Elio's been coming back. You know, the the guy's forty six. He races what the one five hundred a year at this point in IndyCar, and he's competitive. Yeah, that's that was surprising to me. Actually, yeah, going back, I mean, he started twenty eighth last year, twelfth, eighth in twenty eighteen, nineteenth in twenty seventeen. Yeah, that's that's surprising to see Elio there. And looking like he, you know, you know, hadn't been away from the car in, you know, a day. Well, you know, it's that's awesome to see him. Yeah, that one was seeing some of the older names up there was pretty cool. I mean, there are eight prior winners entered in the race. Four of them made it into the fast nine, which kind of gives you the idea of how quick some of these guys still are, not can be, but still are. The only one that kind of jumped out at me as outside of Castro Neves, who has never sat behind the wheel of a Honda before, basically. I mean, a couple of, you know, testing and nothing really in like qualifying pressure for the 500. Uh, The other one that got me was Ryan Hunter-Ray. He's been that same kind of theme of consistently inconsistent this season. I would have expected quick out of him, but maybe not fast nine. Yeah. He just quietly got it done. I was like, Oh, Hey, look, there's RHR. Huh? So looking at the 11 rows of three here, gentlemen, one of the things that we could potentially look at doing here, knowing that Indiana is the world of hoops. The everybody fills out their brackets here of at NCAA tournament time. We could get down to theoretically a top three picks, basing things off of selecting one driver from each row. It would be your three picks to 
at least see success here at the Indy 500. Uh, what do you think? Do we do we want to give a crack at this, and do we want to do it on the podcast, or do we want to give some time to to think this over, and we'll put it up on the NRN Twitter page or something? So we're gonna pick one guy from from each row from who could be row. successful. Yep, and then you advance them down like a bracket. Mm, I think we should probably do it on the Twitter account because I need to get in contact with my bracketologist and uh, <laughs> get to see what Ken Palm and Joe Lenardi think I was about say, it. Get Joe Lenardi uh, on the horn here. It's it really kind of makes for an interesting thing here because basically you would have to pick one driver from row eight through eleven who could potentially win. How about this for a list of names? J.R. Hildebrand, he's been darn close. Ferrucci is an animal at the Speedway. And Juan Pablo Montoya, who's got to win. Marco Andretti, Simon Pagano, Sebastian Bourdais, Stefan Wilson, Max Chilton, Dalton Kellett, Sage Karam, Will Powers, Simona Di Silvestro. If I came to you 14 days ago and said one of those drivers will win the Indy 500, you probably would have gone, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I like the, in one of Chilton's interviews, he casually mentioned, oh, when I was, when I was leading the 500. Sure, Max. You did. You, you led the 500. <laughs> but yeah, I just love that he dropped that there. You wow. didn't win it. Yes, that that's like the it's a half-ass name drop for yourself. Are you allowed to drop your own name in something? Um, I mean, you can, but it doesn't exactly uh, look great. But yeah, yeah. When I was leading the five hundred, yeah, you didn't win it, Max. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, you yes. finished third. I was gonna say everybody has had their time cycling through pit stops. Uh, <laughs> he did lead on pace for a while, though. That was uh, what year was that? That was 17. That was 17. that weird. Uh, that was the Alonzo yes. year. Yes, that, that was the year that everybody that was leading didn't win. It, it just seemed like there were issues. I, I remember Alonzo's engine blowing. Um, that was the year of the Honda grenades. Because mm -hmm. Charlie Kimball was doing well for a while, and then his engine grenaded. Yeah, that was a bad year for Honda. Alonzo's engine grenaded. And look where they've come since. Uh, they they definitely put the Chevys to shame when it comes to performance in qualifications here. Two on the front row, two in row two, all of row three, two in row four, two in row five, two in row six. And by that point, you're getting to the Hondas that, quite frankly, weren't going to be towards the front anyway. Um Pretty impressive. Actually, I guess the one exception to that to me would be Jack Harvey, who I don't know what was going on with that team because Castro Neves was quick. Harvey only qualifying in the 20th position. It, it, do you think there's something, and, and this kind of goes to my question here of does the format need to change? There really is not a ton of incentive to put on a show on Saturday of qualifications if you know you're going to be a mid-pack race car. Put four bankers in the books and you're good. Yeah, I mean, the problem with the format, at least from, from where I sat, 
on my living room floor going, come on, one of you run, please, is you start at noon. Everyone gets their laps done by three. And now you're at the hottest part of the day. So if you've got a chance to bust into the fast nine and you think that your car is quick enough, you're not going to run because you know you're going to be slower because you're at the heat of the day. So you're so you're not going to you're not going to risk pulling your time and ending up worse or or you're going to run out or you're going to go out there and risk doing what Polo did, which is blow up the race car or, you know, put more heat cycles on the engine or do something. So the risk versus reward isn't there. So it ended up being three hours of everyone doing their doing their laps and then nothing. And some people trying to move up a little bit, but like, you know, Jack Harvey went out there and give him give him some credit for qualifying for doing a full quality run with half a tire. Like <laughs> that was something to say. And he went out there and still put down a quality run with it. So yeah, he's going to run again because he knows he's going to be faster because he's going to have a full set of tires, but it's the incentive isn't there. Same thing with, with yesterday with the, the uh, last chance guys, they all had, it was everyone did their run and then nothing. And maybe the, you know, the last two guys are going to try to, you know, get their way back in again, but yeah, it was a lot of dead time and a lot of dead space with this current format. And I don't know how you fix it, but if you qualify and you can get and you're like, yeah, I'm a mid-pack race car and this is I'm just happy to be in the show. You go out, you do your shot and you're like, yep, yeah, 20th. Good enough. Uh, well, that's exactly it. I mean, we saw Rossi go back out. Ed Jones went back out. Pato went back out. But the reality was none of them really improved their times. For a guy like Pietro Fittipaldi, there's absolutely no incentive to put that car back on the racetrack. In fact, Dale Coyne is saying, cover it up. I'm not risking the race car. Yeah. And it seemed like there was And a I think after Polo went out there, and Polo went out to go and get data for... Because I think Dixon was... They were, I heard rumbling that Dixon was going to go back out. Polo goes, uh, goes out there slides into the wall and that's it for him. Right. And, you know, props to the Ganassi guys for one, having the spare tub ready to rock and roll before they even had his car back in the garage. And two, you know, a small team does that. They're done. They're not even good. They're probably not even going to make the race. You know, you know, so you look at Ganassi, you go Ganassi goes, yep. Yeah, that's fine. You know, we, we can risk that smaller team like Meyer Shank there. no, Absolutely not. Dale Coyne? No. Right. Like the, the risk just the reward isn't there. How do you fix it? I have no idea, but it's a lot of sitting around. And that just gives more opportunities for Steve Letart to talk about things he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. I, I just spotted something on the official starting lineup as released to the media. The number one of J.R. Hildebrand. It's an A.J. Foyt car, right? Here's the official yep. team name of that car. ABC Supply Foyt Stewart Racing. Hmm. Holy <laughs> outfit suit, Batman. Foyt Stewart. Didn't we 
casually mentioned this in the Discord when we were making fun of that weird photo op that Foyt was doing? Uh, yes. We did. The, yeah. The oddball of Tony Stewart being there on the pit box on race day may be, there may be more to that. You're not going to title the entry that way. No. That's that's the one that gets me is okay. You're I get it. You've only got ABC Supply on the car as a, as a listed sponsor. Okay, it's just it's ABC Supply Foyt Racing, Foyt you know whatever. The actual entrant name is AJ Foyt Enterprises. However, it's the fact that they put Tony Stewart's name on the car name is is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, that's very interesting. Things that make you go, hmm. Anyway, let's let's run now through the field. Uh, I mean, we're not going to go through everybody here, but uh, as we approach the one hour mark of the podcast here, should we go straight into our picks and anchovies here or... uh, what do you think, boys? Is is there something I missed that we need to discuss here before we get into picks and anchovies for the greatest spectacle in racing? Yeah, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the coverage and just how hit hit or miss the coverage up to and through qualifications was because I have opinions and I I know I've I've I have voiced them in the Discord, but. Uh, well, it, let's, it was... get, let's get your take on it then. So, first of all, I, I mean, so the advantage, the one upside of being a Comcast subscriber is you get Peacock for free. So, um, as part of your Comcast subscription, so I've been watching practice all week, and there's something about um, Townsend Bell and, and Kevin Lee and Lee Diffie and PT just broadcasting to what they know are the diehard fans, the people who are sitting at their desks working or trying to work or not working, but watching IndyCar practice. And if you think about what IndyCar practice is, it's cars just doing laps. It's like watching batting practice, but instead of being, you know, the hour before the game, it's six hours, like five days. You're just watching cars do laps. But those guys are broadcasting to that audience and they talk about things that they understand. They talk about things knowing that the fans who are watching have a certain level of savvy about IndyCar. They're talking to the fans as if the fans know something. And then Friday afternoon, up rocks Steve Latart. And Steve knows nothing about IndyCar. But as opposed to when Dale Jr. broadcasts at the 500 and Dale Jr. is like, yeah, I don't know anything about this. I'm a fan. I'm super excited. This is the greatest thing I've ever done. Bit of an exaggeration, but Dale Jr. came off as a fan. And that energy kind of resonated through everyone else. Like you think about your first time watching the 500, your first time being at the 500. Dale Jr. had that energy. As opposed to Steve Letart, who rocks up and he's like, well, I'm an expert on NASCAR. I don't know what any of this IndyCar stuff is, but I'm going to talk about it like I know what's going on. And then through the entire weekend of qualifying and Fast Friday, you get these interludes of Steve Letart and Jimmy Johnson. And it's just like, 
this is awful. Like, I would do anything for Steve Letart to go away and never be near an IndyCar track again, or at least pick up a rule book, Steve. Watch a race or two. Understand that, no, you don't put Wedge in an IndyCar. Understand what the adjustments are. Call the drivers by their right friggin' names, like J.D. Hillenbrand, or whatever he called JR. He'll be brand. Like, he'll, just, he'll, do, he'll do Rand. Yes. Yeah, just, it was, as somebody who's sat through, what, you know, 36 hours of whatever practice that we watched, the, just, the jarring juxtaposition of Steve Letart talking like he's an expert, because... And I and I think I said this in the Discord. This is like taking a major league baseball manager who's won World Series, who's very successful, and flying him over to India and having him call India Premier League cricket matches as a color commentator. On the fr- on the face of it, it's the same. You hit a ball with a bat, guys run around, people catch the ball. But everything's different. And, and that's like I know that. NBC is trying to bring more eyes to the sport and Jimmy Johnson brings more eyes to the sport. And I won't disagree with that. And it does sound like Jimmy is thinking about running the 500 and TK is trying to wear him down. But (laughs) I, Jimmy Johnson at least approached it from, yeah, I I've sat in these cars. I know how this works. I still don't get how these guys do this, do this on ovals. This is insane. But he approaches it with a reverence of he gets it and he wants to learn. Where Steve Letar just shows up and just starts talking about not knowing a thing, but still talking like he's an expert. It's like giving a guy who's only watched IndyCar for six years a microphone and a podcast. Oh, wait. But I know when I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy who likes talking about this shit. And I'm often wrong and I'm often corrected. But. I know that I'm not an expert, and nobody's presenting me as an expert. Whereas Jeez. evil, t- whereas yeah, uh, I, I, my bad. I'm sorry. No, no, it's it's fine. I mean, I can, I can. It's just, and, and I think, just the entire like every time, even my wife, and my wife is an IndyCar fan. My wife watches a lot of IndyCar. She looked over at me during one of the 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 Latart and Jimmy Johnson segments, and like when they were. Yeah, when they had the booth and she was like, what are these guys talking about? Have they ever watched a race? Like, and and if my wife can pick that up and again, my wife is an IndyCar fan. She's gone to races. She gets the basics of the sport. She's not crazy like I am. So she's not looking for every time the guys are clicking weight jacker and adjusting roll bars and stuff like that. But if she knows that the guy that NBC is portraying as an expert isn't it's an insult to those of us who are, and that's that's my take on Steve Letart. Yeah, I've been an IndyCar fan for almost fifteen years now, more well, more than half my life, and even I don't claim to know everything. There's still plenty about it that I don't understand. If you ask me what the hell a damper is, I hell I couldn't tell you. So, yeah, it was uncomfortable listening to Steve. And as someone who's been watching NASCAR a lot longer than I have IndyCar, I'm, I have my own fair share of 
criticisms about Steve Letarte's commentary that we won't get into at this point. I I think it's an interesting kind of case study, though, in the talent of people. And you can be very good in a segment without being good in the broader picture of things. And I don't want to knock on Steve Letarte because I would be willing to bet he was not real pleased with his performances this past weekend at the Speedway. However, it very clearly got the feeling of, I, I don't know if you guys watch the Chili Bowl coverage at all. Um, that airs on Racing Boys pay-per-view all week long until the C-Main on Championship Saturday. And then it flips over to Math TV, and you get a completely different set of broadcasts. When you watch the Chili Bowl broadcast, you can tell those guys have not been there all week. So they haven't been in the dirt and and getting a feel for everything. And yeah, this guy's actually really strong, but he just had a bad pill draw, didn't have a good qualifying night. And all the stuff that goes into putting on a race broadcast. It's very difficult to be in Steve Letarte's position of, I have to be doing my NASCAR gig all week and trying to keep Indy on in the background to know a little bit of what's going on so I don't sound like a total fool when I get there. The reality is the people that are watching practice for the 500 and obviously are then tuning in for qualifications are your most knowledgeable fans. Qualifying is, I think, the, the side booth pairing of Latart and Jimmy Johnson is the perfect equal to the qualifying format. Could it be good? Absolutely. Is it any good? No. It's and I don't want to knock on Steve. I have a feeling that NBC. I mean. I have a feeling that NBC showed up and said, "Hey, Steve, you're going to the 500." He probably said, "Oh, cool," and then the and then that was it. And so, you know, not a knock on him personally. And he, I know the guy was out there doing his best, but he was set up to fail. And that's sort of what I'm getting at: is he's he's put in a position where translate your lifetime knowledge of wrenching a car. It's like you said, the analogy comparing baseball to cricket was perfect. Yes, you've been a mechanic your whole life. You can pick up that IndyCar stuff. That's not how this works. <laughs> we see it when a driver tries to go from one to the other. It's very rare that somebody is very successful in both disciplines. Even going back to the 70s when Bobby and Donnie Allison would come run at Indy, they were never the quickest of the lot. So I think it's pretty unreasonable to expect Steve Letarte to show up for Saturday, Sunday broadcast and say, Steve, nail it. And they've done the same thing to him with like IMSA too, though. They just drop him in an IMSA race, and those are arguably even farther out of his wheelhouse because there's right turns and it's the same thing it's just like 
look, we know that you've got a guy. We know that you've got a guy that's smart, but you got other guys that are as good or better that are sitting on your sidelines. Yeah. And I, I thought the, the I, it was I good to have two so NASCAR hard. guys looking at the 500 from, from uh, yeah, I guess it, I'm still calling Jimmy a NASCAR guy. But you you got two guys looking at it, you know, from the outside in. But Jimmy's at least sat in one of the cars and he's driven it. And he kind of knows what everything in the car does. So he can at least relate to it. And he came off as he wanted to know more. And he at least knew the terminology and like, you know, what stuff was. But, you know, you just drop a total outsider and it'd be like, hey, call the most important part of the month of May up to this point. Yeah, I, I, work. I'll I'll say it this way: there are just like there are crew chiefs that are there to get their driver calmed down. Looking at you, anybody working on Kyle Busch's pit box, you some crew chiefs <laughs> are are there to get, kind of pull the reins back a little bit. And go, come on, bud, let's let's get in. You know, keep things on the straight and narrow. Here, we're doing just fine. Steve Letart is that guy. He's the guy who's there that can kind of pull back and be the inquisitive one, because that's what I got a lot of the feeling was, is that when you had Dale Jr. and Steve Letarte on that pit side box, Jr. is hair on fire. This is cool, man. This is this is freaking cool. And Letarte's there to just go, well, OK, what's cool about it? Let him kind of steer the ship a little bit. And you got great content out of those guys. And he got a lot of great content out of Danica Patrick as well last season. I'm surprised they haven't had her in the booth more. That She's only going to be there on Sunday for the race. That's a name that you would go, hey, she's driven these cars. She's almost won this race. In the yeah, I don't know if that has. Yeah, I don't know if that has anything to do with the PT incident from last year. Cause that was, that was uncomfortable. So I don't know if she, I, if she pulled back or if they decided to go a different direction. Yeah. I, I'll say it this way. Paul Tracy is, he was okay at the start of the NBC deal, but especially now that he knows they're not coming back. He is in full don't give a damn mode. It's kind of fun to hear him pick on Townsend and have Townsend pick on him. And that's the kind of the fun part about the Peacock stuff where it's like, yeah, we know that this isn't going out on the air. So we're just going to pick on each other. At least I of the three, right, of the, the three guys in the booth. Townsend is probably my favorite because he's actually driven this generation of car, like not with the latest aero kits, but he's actually driven a DW12 and gets how it works and has been at the Speedway recently um, and on the track recently. Like I've actually watched a 500 with Townsend Bell, which is kind of my barometer of when I started getting involved and in, in watching this stuff. So he at least knows how these cars work more so than PT, but yeah, it's I do like the two of them fighting with each other. It's quality broadcasting. That to me is a callback to 
the Bobby Unser Sam Posey stuff that ABC had to deal with. And Townsend isn't one, he's not as um, vociferous as Bobby Unser would be in the, now Sam, that's just wrong. <laughs> he, he would call Paul out. He would call Sam out. He called anybody. Even if he was wrong, it didn't matter. He'd call him out. Townsend is a little bit more reserved than that, but he is the about the perfect driver analyst. He was good enough to be very dangerous, but not good enough to still be behind the wheel of the car. I Paul Tracy is a guy who's won IndyCar championships. He, he thinks he's won at least one Indy 500. <laughs> Maybe that kind of bitterness still comes through about the speedway and and that's part of it but i don't know that paul tracy is the right guy to have in the booth but i do love the ball busting that will go on there um so one thing i did notice that you that that you just that you reminded me of was he and sebastian bourdais were the bitterest of enemies when they raced against each other and now pt it sounds like he's almost defending defending Bourdais and won't let anyone kind of shit on, you know, kind of where Bourdais is at, you know, kind of the towards the end of his career here. It almost seems like he's going to bat and he's like, yeah, you know, I can, you know, I can say shit about him because, you know, he and I came to blows more than <laughs> once in, in, in cart, but I won't let anyone talk down about him because I know what he's like as a competitor. And I, and I did notice that a couple of times over the week and I was just like, huh, that's interesting. That's like, those guys did not like each other, and it's inter- and it's good to hear him almost be like, "Yeah, he's still quick. He's still got it. He's you know he's in, not in a great situation, but he's he's still got it." And it's interesting to see him defend almost defend Bourdais as being like, "Yeah, he's he's still fast." Isn't it funny how that goes sometimes? Like you fight someone so hard that you almost become one in the same like look at Senna and Prost back in the day like shortly before Ayrton passed Prost and him got pretty close to the point where Ayrton asked him to come back to F1 now if you had asked someone a, a few years before Ayrton's passing before when they were still with McLaren that they would have never expected anything like that to happen. So it's just, it's kind of a little fascinating observation when you see guys fight each other so hard in the pursuit of their goals. Yep. It's talent respects talent. So with that here, uh, I'm going to encourage you guys as, as we get ready to wrap things up, we have a couple of pieces of sad news actually that we're going to touch on here right towards the end of the show, but do this whole little bracket game. Uh, I will send over a bracket to everybody. We'll post it on the national racing network, Facebook and Twitter pages. The matchups that you get after picking your first driver in you know your driver out of each row to move on is some of these are really really difficult to pick um 
let's see. There were a couple that jumped out at me right away here. Uh, Ed Carpenter versus Elio Castro Neves or Ryan Hunter Ray. Ooh, that's a tough pick. Alexander Rossi or Takuma Sato. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah, that is a tough one. There's there's a lot of spiciness that comes through this, so we'll get that dialed up and birdied up on the graphics and all for everybody. Um, seeing a couple of pieces of news, we got the email last night that Andre Ribeiro passed away. Uh, in his native Brazil, he had taken on a pretty big role in Penske's automotive dealerships down there following his retirement from IndyCar. Uh, so sad news. He was very young. I believe he was 55 years old. And also seeing today that Max Mosley passed away, the longtime head of the FIA. Um, we won't go into all the family background stuff there, which is quite <laughs> disturbing. Uh, but he was one of the guys with Bernie Ecclestone that took Formula One from being a kind of niche sport to rivaling soccer on a week-to-week basis or football for the non-Americans of us, rivaling that week in and week out for the world's biggest spectator sport. So uh, a couple of sad pieces of news that we'll pass along there, but Gentlemen, it is time to make our picks for the race win and the anchovy of the greatest spectacle in racing. In fact, we won't even call it the anchovy this week. In honor of our co-host who's not with us tonight, who is the Tony Patty of this weekend's Indianapolis 500? Um, Oh, why are you going to do him like that? Because uh, he's not here to defend himself. He's not here to defend himself. So, uh, we will start with, uh, let's see, I don't have anything to coin flip here. We'll say, Mike, who is the anchovy of the week for the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500 presented by Gainbridge? Oh, it's so hard. Oh, let's see. It's such a crapshoot. Indy is, there's so much talent in the field right now. Uh, Man, uh, this is, this is a tough one. Um, I'm going to put some bad juju on Penske and just, uh, I, Pagano. I think Pagano's going to have a rough week. He's he's had a rough week before. I don't think the 500 is going to agree with him. No milk. No milk for Simon this year. That's an interesting pick when most of the paddock says Pagano has the best car far and away in traffic. Uh we'll see how that one plays out for you. Uh James, who do you who do you want to pick here for uh the pineapple of the week? Uh, I'm gonna kind of stick with the the Penske organization like Mike was doing and go with Scott. I think it's gonna bite him because the Indianapolis 500 is completely unlike anything he's ever dealt with. So I think it's gonna bite him somehow, some way. I it, it wouldn't surprise me. It is even with not having a half million people in the building on race day, 
the pump is still going to be there. And the roar that will go up on those last four notes of back home again in Indiana, when Jim Cornelson holds that last A, yeah, it, it gives me chills thinking about it. I guarantee you that could potentially screw with Scott McLaughlin. I'm going a little bit out on a limb here, but this season, maybe not so much. I am going to say Alexander Rossi is the pineapple of the week. Since 2016, he's only had one year where he's really been in contention, and that's when, at least very, very late in the race, when he was battling Simon Pagano. He wants the stigma of the fuel mileage win gone so bad, I think it's actually hurting his performance at the Speedway. Qualified in the 10th position, just missing out on the fast nine. However, the car was only 16th quick over the course of the week in draft-happy practice. Um, Something tells me that Alexander Rossi will not be drinking milk on Sunday. Uh, so we'll go back to the head of the field here. Mike, who is your pick to win this Sunday at Indy? I think it's old dude's uh, old dude's win, but I'm not taking the obvious old dude. I'm taking Tony Kanaan. By a nose. <sighs> See, you had it. It was perfect. And then you add that in. Well done, sir. Um, we may still be drunk on Monday, by the way, if, if TK wins this thing, because that party will extend from sea to shining sea for sure. Uh, James, who is, uh, who's your pick to win here? Do you even really have to ask? Uh, yes, actually, I, <laughs> I, you're sure you want to pick the guy who is... Rolling off in the 32nd position by the hair on his chinny chin chin. How about three one hundredths of a second from missing the show? Toowoomba, Australia's own willpower is your pick to win. I'm a ride or die, Bish. I always <laughs> got to root for him. That's my boy. Well, that would be a hell of a comeback. <laughs> you know what? It's almost like the way Rossi won his, where you kind of have to play the off strategy game right from the very beginning. You almost wonder if power and, and that side of the Penske garage isn't already coming up with the games to play when you consider that Pagano and power are go both going to be starting in those last three rows. We're going to start this one in fuel map five. And hope for the best. <laughs> um, all right. I guess we're down to me now. And I'm, I hope I don't jinx this guy. I really, really hope the commentator's curse doesn't strike. But I think it's the year. The, the only bigger party to come out of Indianapolis outside of a Tony Kanan win would be for an Ed Carpenter win. I think this is the year. He's He doesn't have that many left in him, at least being ultra competitive the way they are, just based on how old he is. I think this is the year that Ed Carpenter goes to victory lane. I wouldn't hate it. No, I don't I don't think anyone should disagree with that pick. I, okay, does he do that? Does he pull the Sam Hanks? Does he quit in victory lane 
and never sit in an IndyCar again if he wins the 500? No, he's at least got to get through Gateway this year because he doesn't have a driver for it otherwise. Ah, you can work that out. <laughs> hey, Connor, you've been hired. That, that's it. Connor, <laughs> you are now, you're now our full-time driver. And, I mean, in all reality, Carlin's not going anywhere towards the front. Here, what, what's your paycheck worth from Carlin? Oh, uh, yeah. I carry that around as pocket change. Here, come drive for me. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, two in, in review, surmise, and summation, Mr. Watson has willpower to win out of 32nd position. The anchovy of the week is Scott McLaughlin, who rolls off in position number 17 in the yellow submarine. Mike has Tony Kanan winning, which would be absolutely incredible. The Brazilian American Legion car. How cool would that be to see the American Legion car and Tony Kanan go to victory lane on Memorial Day weekend? He says Simon Pagano is the pineapple of the week or whatever it is the French put on pizza that doesn't belong there. Uh, I say Ed Carpenter gets the win and Alexander Rossi is the fuzzy eyebrow of the week at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the 105th running of the Indy 500. Gentlemen, with that, I think we should probably consider getting the heck out of here. We're already approaching 90 minutes of talk about the greatest race in the world. We could probably talk for hours about it, too. But uh, any final thoughts before we get off the uh, off the air here? James, we'll, we'll kick things off with you. Oh, I'm just so looking forward to the weekend. I, I'm going to be actually attending the race for the first time in my life. Me and Patrick are going to go spend the weekend and get completely stupid around race cars. It's going to be great. That sounds like a blast. So just don't get bizzled on the way, all right, bud? Um, Mike, what, what, are, what are you doing here? What are your plans for you? Yeah, actually, I forgot to ask this one. Since Monaco was this past weekend, what the hell are we supposed to do Sunday morning? Get up and drink? Come on. Yeah, but usually sleep. you have a race on to get up and drink for. Yeah, right. You think you're so gonna get sleep? up and drink and watch an old race? <laughs> That's true. You know what? Watch I, qualifying again. Based based on the setup that we're gonna have here, um, I I may put old Indy 500s on starting at like five in the morning just to piss off the neighbors. Um, all right. So what else? Any final thoughts here before we we get on out of here, Mike? I mean, this is, you know, they don't call it the month of May for nothing. They don't call this the greatest spectacle in racing for nothing. Even with, you know, less than full capacity, it's still going to be amazing. It's a great field. I think we're going to, we're in for a great race no matter what. Um, Scott Dixon is probably going to win regardless. Um, but if he doesn't, there's 32 other contenders that are, that are deserving of a win. And I, I don't think would, I'd be unhappy if, any of them uh any of them cross the line first it's a hell of an accomplishment for anyone to do so you know i i think it's going to be a fantastic weekend you know i am keeping an eye out for simona i think that the Pareto autosport story is a great story i'm glad that they got in even though my guy charlie kimball did get bumped out um i think we've got good stories top to bottom and you know we'll know you know sunday afternoon you know how this all shakes out and i cannot wait to talk about it come monday yeah, the the quote that was used for years to kick off the Victory Lane interview 
Welcome to immortality. I Those words make the hairs on my arms stand up. Somebody is going to hear that, and their life will be changed forever. It, whether it's Scott Dixon cementing his legacy as one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest, to a kid like Alex Palou, Colton Herta, Renus VK, we know them now as stars and stars in the making. They become instantaneous global celebrities by 3.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. I just hope whoever it is that wins, it doesn't do the stupid pour the milk all over your head thing. Uh, outside of that, I cannot wait. This is the holiest of high holy days on the racing calendar. And and we've got a ton of action coming up. But we'll wrap things up here on this episode two of Pizza at the Pagoda. For James Watson, Mike McCullen, producer Chris Kresge, my name is Chris Graham. It has been a pleasure to have you all listening. And we will talk to you on Monday with a full review of the greatest spectacle in racing. But until then, we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy the race, everybody. See ya.